Hi, Johannes. Welcome back. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, and you didn't listen to your own podcast, I heard. Yes, the problem was um, that's, that's, uh, that, that I didn't recognize it was already online. I, I looked today just curious before recording this and saw it. That, 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 and saw that, that you already published it. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be listening to it. Um, Very good. So I thought that, that, that your mostly nerdless block is down because of the traffic redirected by the podcast, but nothing happened, unfortunately. No, no, no. I didn't get uh, that much traffic. I hope it changes with this podcast. But no. Um, but it's interesting yeah. to, to, to tell people my story. And uh, I'll tweet yeah, so, it soon. So EBPF. Yes. You are interested in it. What it stands for? EBPF. So EBPF, uh, I'm not an, uh, I'm, I'm not a, the greatest expert in it, but EBPF stands for Extended Berkeley Package Filter. As far as I know the history, it's like um, in the 90s, people um, start to develop um, uh, firewalls and package filters. And what they want to do, they wanted to allow users to write their rules in, in in like a language because you don't want to have like hard-coded rules in uh, in your package filter. And the package filter is implemented in the kernel. So they started out to, to write BPF programs. These are like small programs typically written in C. Um, and you could use them to, for example, drop packages or to, yeah, essentially to drop packages that you don't like um, to create simple basic firewalls. Um, and then... In around 2017, people started using it for more stuff, especially like Brandon Eich, um, who also uh, invented Flamecrafts, um, uh, like gave, gave talks about it, wrote blog posts about it on how to use BPF also for monitoring. And then um, BPF gained many, many more features. Um, and then it changed its name kind of to extended Berkeley package filter because it now can do much oh. more than, pack, than than just package filtering. So um, I just today talked with um, someone from Trafana and they use eBPF in their monitoring products. Um, the same with like people from Datadog or so. So um, they essentially use it for monitoring purposes because the, the nice thing about eBPF is... Um, that you can essentially attach to hooks in the kernel um, small programs. And these programs can, for example, attach to hooks related to network. So you can drop packages as before. Um, and you can essentially use it to, to gather information. For example, uh, small in, in a small sample program, you can uh, um, attach to the exec VE uh, hook. So uh, every time um, someone on your system calls XFV, a small program is executed in the kernel, and you can use this, for example, to count how many times uh, a user executed a new program. And that's pretty nice. Mm -hmm. How many interesting uh, system hooks are there on Linux? Or well, what are the most, interesting, <laughs> the, the most interesting hooks? So uh, is this everything exposed as a hook on Linux? or uh, uh, Every system call, as far as I know. And the cool thing is with, with new kernels, you're even um, able to write uh, new schedulers, so new process scheduling directly in EBPF, so you can write your own schedulers, which is pretty crazy. 
you ask me, like writing a scheduler and be like, oh, I just installed this new scheduler on my system. I wrote it my, myself would be a pretty, pretty cool project to work on. And there are probably people um, in the enterprise world working with these features to get the best out of their system. So that's that's pretty neat. And also, of course, like monitoring. I'm, I'm a monitoring guy, so... Um, you can monitor, for example, file accesses and more, um, and then store it away. Of course, you have to have uh, you have to be a root user to use it. Um, that's the main difficulty. But you shouldn't like be running programs that can access all user memory um, as a non-root user. This would be pretty terrible. Okay, so uh, what it is, is a small piece of bytecode which runs on Linux kernel, yes. which can be easily installed, and it uh, intercepts, intercepts syscalls? Or not, is, not, is... not really intercepts, it's, it's like attached, you attach it to hooks, so interception means like it's it in between, but it's rather called with the... Um, it, it's rather called when, when a syscall is called, and there's hooks that have more functionality, for example, their network package receive hooks where you can say, oh, please drop um, this specific package. And this feature, and also because you can use this feature to forward packages, is uh, used by Facebook to implement their load balancer directly in kernel. And I think they, they saved like a lot of performance there, especially because you don't have to cross the kernel to user land boundary. Because the main problem with like a load balancer is that when you call always like directly into the kernel and be like, oh, give me the send this package to there and so and when you do this in kernel you don't have to cross the boundary that much. So that it's essentially a good way to to improve the performance of such things. But uh, you say, uh, so it is called in parallel. So let's say uh, I would like to save a file and I, I installed such a hook. So then uh, then uh, this is called to a file and my uh, and my eBPF, how to call it, extension is going to be called, right? Yes. Um, and uh, I think it's it's like hook dependent um, what features like the hook has. For example, as I said, with network, um, the, your, your hook can return um a value that tells the kernel like drop this package or not. Um, and there are other syscalls for execve where you can't do much um, about it. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as, and what, as I understand it. What happens if you block your extension for 10 seconds? Uh, that That's not possible. So the cool thing about um, running this in the kernel is that you have a verifier. So, so how it works, you uh, compile your C code typically down to a bytecode, and this bytecode is then executed in the kernel. Um, and the kernel even has like a runtime. It has a small VM in it, um, and it even has like a JIT on modern systems. So a just-in-time compiler in your kernel, which is pretty cool. Um, but so it has a verifier that, for example, uh, guarantees that your program terminates. So you can't have like uh, unbounded loops you kind of unbounded recursion and it's quite limited on on the complexity of your programs but that's on purpose because you don't want to block your kernel like for 10 seconds because this is pretty pretty hard to debug them so usually these programs run pretty fast um because 
yes, as I said, they 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 are restricted to to um to terminate, and usually termination is pretty hard problem in computer science. So for the computer science nerds out there, it's the um, theorem of Rice, um, which states that it's impossible to um, prove the a termination of a program. Also, another theorem. I don't know, but it's essentially it, it tells you that with uh, Turing complete languages, it's impossible to um, essentially prove that the program statically prove that the program is terminating, but. Um, with these programs, it's possible because the verifier restricts your program to be of of the kind that it terminates. And if the terminate, and if the verifier can't tell you that it terminates, then it just says, "Good, I'm throwing an error. Please rewrite your program again." And that happens when you write larger programs, as I heard from people that wanted to use larger loops. Um, I forgot forgot actually my theorem, not my theorem, a theorem which I forgot the name. This was um, with um, asynchronous communication. It's very similar. So if you have uh, asynchronous communication with external systems and you send messages, it is impossible to distinguish whether the, the other system is late or is just no more available. And did, uh, this is a three-letter um, uh, theorem. So I think there were three people involved in it. But it uh, sounds very similar to your theorem. So um, I will have to look it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's essentially it. So, so it, it helps you. So um, the, the EPPF programs that I saw around, so I'm, I'm only in, in the EPPF world now for like one, two months, um, they're usually quite small, especially because you have these restrictions. But... Um, Still, these these programs are small, but they are powerful because they can access a lot of helper methods. So they are hundreds of hundreds of of helper methods with which you can access a myriad of information, and that's pretty cool. Okay, my theory, the name I found it. This is uh, FLP and stands for Fisher Lynch and Partisan Theorem, um, and this is you you can do agreement in asynchronous message passing if 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 even one crash failure is allowed. So and this is uh, this is in, in, important for me for for my work in distributed systems because you know in, in client systems or in enterprise software if you uh, if you would like you know to have an application server which communicates with other application servers it's easy to explain that it's actually impossible to uh, to have a consistent communication so we have to do something like a business and with a business logic and without the theorem there was endless discussion you know because uh, developers wanted to still do it and with the theorem for for me is a shortcut say look there's a theorem it is impossible so we should do something about it right so this is why i immediately remember my theorem what was your name of yours you remember you, you said you, you said and uh, no problem you said a name but i, I couldn't uh, uh, i thought it it was oh no it's that it's that the, the theorem of rice only tells you that uh from goran rice only tells you that it's the extension which tells you that you can't get that you can't obtain um arbitrary properties of programs statically but i think it's based on another theorem oh yeah no of course it's based on the halting problem so um it's essentially the halting problem halting um, problem okay yeah because it's very similar so this is why i said yes. maybe this is okay interesting okay so um so what it means is actually that the kernel linux kernel 
uh, architecture is similar to Java's architecture, right? So we have a bytecode verifier, we have a bytecode, we have uh, small programs, and um, yeah, the verifier doesn't verify uh, the uh, for endless loops, it doesn't eliminate them, but uh, more for security, but interesting, right? Mm -hmm. And if you go one level deeper, and that's the thing that, that probably not that many people know is that um, when you're writing assembly code, that's not the code that your CPU is really executing. So what your CPU usually does, especially with um, your x86 um, CPUs, is that your up that your CPU translates these larger uh, assembler instructions down to smaller instructions. So it essentially has a just-in-time compiler for your for your assembly code, which mm -hmm. then runs on a complex VM implemented in silicon, but that's pretty cool. Uh, and with some CPUs, I think you can even update like the micro code. And so uh, <laughs> when mm -hmm. you're running code on your JVM, it's essentially you have a JVM running on a VM executing assembly instructions then in a VM embedded in silicon, which is pretty cool. Yeah, indeed. Um, so EBPF. So uh, we can install the thing. And yeah, let's forget Java. So I have my terminal. How to install an EBPF extension? Do I need a specific tool or can I use, you know, just the standard shell or how, how, it, how it is working? So, so usually uh, you don't run your BPF alone because that doesn't make any sense. Um, you usually run it. Uh, you, 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 yes, you can install it. There's a system call with it. You can, the system call called BPF and you can pass it. Uh, as far as I know, you can pass it like your program on um, the bytecode of your program and then it's installed and you told like hey that's please attach it to a hook with another system call and that's that's fine you can attach it and it's fine but uh when you want to do it on on your command line you usually use a program like bpf tool with which you can load these programs but more commonly what like the monitoring people do they use a userland program that does this for them. So they have a userland library. Um, it's typically like implemented currently like in Rust, Go, or Python. And this allows you to easily compile these programs and then load it into the kernel and get also information to and from. So usually a monitoring application would like to get the information out of the kernel that it collects in the kernel. Um, and therefore it uses eBPF maps and the idea is that you have a special kind of map. But maps are more like a collection data structure of fixed size, not to be confused with the Java maps, which are like mm -hmm. just hash maps, but the APPF maps could be uh, an event buffer, it could be a queue, it could be an area, and it could be a dictionary. And so this this is used to communicate, and that's pretty cool. And then you, you usually have like a your, your program written in Go, Rust, Python, or so, and you define your eBPF program in it, and then um, it takes care of attaching the hooks and everything um, using the system calls. Because when you're doing monitoring work, you don't usually want to uh, fuzz around with the system calls. That's where libraries come in. And then essentially when you have such a library, you can just run your application uh, as a root user and do uh, do have to have some capabilities that usually you have as a root user and then can can run it and it works. So it doesn't have to be, um, I mean, what, what, you have to compile 
I think C usually, right? That's, yes. This is the standard C to the bytecode. It's called bytecode. And then the bytecode has to be copied somewhere, I guess. It has to be in path of... Uh, it has to be loaded. I think it has to be loaded via system call. So you can load these programs. Okay, so you have to call an, an, a command which loads the bytecode to the kernel. And then you have to configure the kernel somehow to, that the kernel knows there's a bytecode as well, right? Yeah, but but that's 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 where the system calls come in. So um, okay, have so there are meta system deployment calls which deploy the bytecode, right? Yes. And and how to call the meta bytecode? So I'm just interested, you know. So how uh, from from the from the from the terminal or whatever is it possible to uh, to to uh, initiate you know the installation with the system calls or to in order to execute system calls you need a C program. Um, I mean? Yeah, but but the system calls like XFE or, or file system calls, they you have a normal C program, you have a normal program that executes the system calls. So uh, system calls are always used by all programs to interface with the kernel. So that's no problem. But it could be, but it could be also used by shell, right? No, shell. Of course, yes, of course. Your shell does execute system yeah, exactly. calls, um, especially the exec family of system calls. Every time you want to start a new a new program, for example, when you type ls, it starts exactly. a new program. Usually, the ls program, um, and this ls program uses file system system calls. And there's even a cool idea that that someone told me that. You could use eBPF to improve the speed of to to improve the speed of small file searches because you could like search for file in eBPF. I know like limited uh, the, the amount of files that you could look into is limited, but as it runs in eBPF, you don't have to cross the system the the kernel to user land memory that much. So you could do quite some fancy stuff um uh but that's only what i heard from people there there are many people in the monitoring world pretty excited about ebpf there's um there will be i think two talks at fostem on ebpf so if you're more interested in ebpf come to fostem it's a great conference yeah well, why should go to fostem if i have you and i can ask wow. you right now right so this is uh <laughs> this is just uh it's as greener you know to stay at home and ask you then travel to fostem and be, become sick at the, at the end of the conference mm -hmm. which is a uh, usual so um but uh, the uh the uh, back what would i actually ask is there a generic a terminal command where i can execute you know uh a syscall by my of my choice. You know what I mean. So there should be something, you know, where you say like a command, a meta command, because this is what I'm interested in. This should be available. I mean, why not, right? Why I should write a C program first to 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 initiate a syscall? Why there is no command uh, facet or how to call it, which allows me to execute whatever syscalls I write. I like. I mean, this should be possible even for debugging purposes. Mm, there, there is apparently. Um... Ooh, this there 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 are there are um apparently some GitHub projects that allow you to do this. Okay, because um, I was really curious. Like this is a strange that you you cannot just use it directly, especially not on Linux. So on Mac or Windows, I would understand, but on Linux, I mean some. Yeah, but uh, okay, this is covered. Oh, there's, there's, there's. Oh, yes. When you are on obscure systems like AIX and Line Nine, they have a system call command, um, and there's a syscall 
Um, and there's a syscall project on GitHub that allows you to do the same. Yeah, so, and and to 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 do the syscall calls, you have to be root because you are you you are, you're calling. No, the no, 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 no. For syscalls, you don't have to be root. Just for eBPF to install eBPF programs because eBPF can access so much. No, syscalls are used by every program. It just like printing something. No, I mean, on, I mean the, the meta syscall to install. Oh, to, no, the 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 to to run this the the meters is called to to install EPPF yeah. programs. Yes, you have to be root. Of course, um, it would be terrible if people could just like in their no no no. Uh, but what's what's I'm interested right now is obviously because there are syscalls which can be executed by 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 anyone and syscalls which can be executed by root. So it means either the there is a uh, similar permission model for syscalls, yes, or there is kind of. Um, Interceptor decorator or 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 something which says okay my syscall can be only executed by someone and the other one by everyone right but I think that's that's equivalent so uh, there there should be I think there's the capability model in in the Linux kernel um, where you can like give users some capabilities but if I'm honest uh, that's where my knowledge of Linux ends um, but you can probably Google it and, and find it anyway no it was just uh, because you know Cisco's uh, I had you so okay now let's uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in the stuff so it's interesting so and what you did now so so, uh, so, so, so what I did was that um, in last year in in June or so I met someone at the Karlsruhe Entwickler Tage where I was also speaking and I met someone from uh, Elasticsearch um, and we talked about it and we're like, uh, hey, uh, that uh, I wanted to know where, where monitoring, where, where the monitoring field goes. And the person told me, hey, uh, you should look into eBPF. And then I was on conferences a lot. I did like my six conferences in autumn. It was also on Holland. Then yeah, I didn't have time to, to look into eBPF, but then we looked into eBPF in... You were at six conferences. You had no time to to do some EBPF. Uh, you know, yeah, are, this is you spend the entire time. You know, in train. Then you yes. talk for an hour, and then you can hack in train uh, EBPF again, right? Yes, because no, I, I want to do work at SAP too for SAP machine. But um, essentially, I met at the Chafer conference, which is a pretty nice conference in November in um, in. The, in the Netherlands, um, which I can really recommend, it's it's cheap, but it's a one-day conference with many many cool speakers. Um, and there met Mohamed Abu Leid. He gave the talk on eBPF at Davox and also at JFL. So we crossed paths and we and I talked with him about my ideas and how he kind of helps me a bit is my eppf advice in this project because i thought like okay i i want to learn eppf and there's a new book by les rice out called learning eppf published in october and available as a free pdf too uh, it's from ease of Ireland. and the cool thing is there i i thought like hey i could just read this book and be like yay i know a bit of eppf but then i thought now, that would be quite boring because I'm not contributing to the community and I want to contribute to the communities that I want to be part of. So I thought, is there is there a project that I could contribute that really um, improves the community? And one of these projects is getting giving the community an eBPF API 
in Java because there are libraries in user land for working with eBPF in Python, in Lua, in C++, in Go, and in Rust, but there isn't any library in the JVM world. And I disliked this. And so I started the Hello eBPF program, the Hello eBPF project. You can find it on GitHub, and I'm also blogging regularly on this. Um, and the first blog appeared on, on the 1st of January. The first blog post where I tell people like the concept of this approach. And so the main concept is that with Project Panama, it's quite easy to interface uh, from Java into C. And so, so what, what you it, did, so the, the blog post is yeah. mostly Nerdless. Yes, DE, mostly Nerdless DE, and uh, the name is Hello BPF Developing e -app, eBPF Apps in Java. It was yes. not January, you are completely wrong. It was December 31st, Sylvester. I, so, I, I tweeted on January 1st, and they usually use the date of the tweet. As yeah, like, no one cares yeah. about Twitter anymore. So, uh, <laughs> But the truth is on your blog, December 31st. <laughs> and... Uh, and now you you said something. I wanted to interrupt you for the, for, for another reason. Oh, no, so yeah. using Project Panama, which is like GNI Next, and uh, so uh, you can call from Java native code without playing or or using C and header files. So it's like yes. the modern way for GNI. What was your experience with it? So um, how it starts? So um, because what I what I understand. There is there is a, a, a kernel written in C with some APIs, and you would wanted to access it from Java, and you decided to use uh, the uh, project Panama. This is the new GNI. So you started with Hello World, I guess, right? So you, you, you wrote a small program. So so the so so the main idea here is um, that there is already the, there are already like user land libraries written in C and one of them is the BCC library. And they have an interface in Python. Um, that's just the, the BCC, just the official BCC API. And BCC was like first; it was like the first proper userland library. And it's now. And what is BCC? The bytecode, or what? What is BCC? And so BCC is a project that allows you to easily develop eBPF programs and easily interface with the kernel. Like it abstracts away many of the pain points. And it's like the first project that did this. And nowadays, people use lib. BPF, but um, this was BCC is like one of the most commonly used libraries, and there is a Python API for this, and it uses the Python foreign function interface. And before JNI, it was quite hard to do foreign function interface thing in Java because before you had to like develop the, your JNI code, and it's messy, and you have to compile it and everything, and Nowadays, you don't have to compile anything to do for to to have a to to interface with foreign functions. To interface with the C functions of the libbcc. So what I did, I used Panama to write the wrapper like BCC did with the Panama API with the Python API. I wrote a wrapper across. Uh, used the J extract, the I think, right? I used J extract, yeah, um, and. Jextract is a pretty neat tool. Uh, so, the, how you use it? You point the Jextract to what? Uh, I point the Jextract to um, a header file, and in this header file, I just included all the header files that I wanted to use. For example, the, the relevant uh, Linux headers, uh, the relevant STD lib headers, and the relevant uh, libbcc headers. And then Jextract generates me thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of code that essentially define. The, the 
the native function, the C functions in Java, kind of they define like the, the structure of how different structs in the header files look like, how the functions are defined. And that's pretty cool because then you can use all your neat little uh, C functions that, for example, libpcc gives us, use them directly in Java, and it's far less of a mess than train I. So it's currently in preview, but it will be stable in JDK 22, and I'm looking forward to it because it's like one of the the biggest changes in the last years. Um, yes, especially it becomes more and more important, right? Uh, you use it for eBPF. I had to use it for encryption once, or you can use it, you know, for uh, to access, you know, some, you know, uh, AI programs compiled. From different languages, it becomes increasingly important to be able to uh, to nicely, you know, invoke uh, foreign <laughs> foreign languages, foreign uh, foreign ex um, executables. Okay, so um, so what's not clear to me? Which headers you picked? You, you your first goal was to have an and kind of how to call it development environment in Java, right? So this was your first goal to be able to create eBPF project. We are not talking about uh, installing the the eBPF thing. You wanted to create eBPFs in Java, right? So kind of both. So the 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 main idea is you have these you have these uh, user land libraries that make it easy to develop eBPF based applications. So these applications usually consist of your of your uh, eBPF code, so the code that's then loaded in the kernel, they consist of code that allows you to load this into kernel and to work with it, to work also with eBPF maps to get information to and from the eBPF programs. And this this code around is usually written um, in another language. For my Hello eBPF program, the, the code is written in Java, so you write a Java application around your eBPF program, uh, in user land that allows you to work with the eBPF program to get information to and from, and that's pretty cool. And I used libpcc as the groundwork because I essentially copied the Python API to BCC, made it into Java, and implemented all the nice helper functions that the Python API gives us. So it's essentially a clone of the Python API in Java, and the Python API uses CFFI, and I use Panama, and so it's quite easy to to transform Python code into Java code. Yeah, now. this is what people don't know, or uh, it is not obvious that Python usually doesn't do much, right? So Python does it calls C usually all the yes. time, right? And if Python would do more, it would be incredibly slow. So Python, you know, yes. calls usually as as fast as possible something external, and now with Panama. We can absolutely do it with Java. So what means what you demonstrated is actually how we can migrate, you know, Python pro programs to Java, which uh, is even more important than eBPF because uh, because now we could extend on it, you know, and run the business logic in Java, which will execute orders of magnitudes faster than Python. Yeah, it is. No, no kidding. As a, yeah, there no. Is a, yeah. No. Uh, it is 30 times faster, roughly. So it is uh, orders of magnitude. So, um, yeah. I, I looked into the Python VM because I started, I don't know, I like to do more more Python stuff on the side just as a hobby. And so I am uh, I looked into how to create a Python debugger. And um, I'll be with this talk uh, in the PyCon Lithuania at the beginning of April. 
uh, talking about how to create a uh, Python debugger, and you can find it also on my blog post. But on my blog, but what I saw is that yes, Python is quite slow, um, but it doesn't matter as you as you said because we're just calling into C. And the cool thing is that with modern technology, uh, in my case, GitHub Copilot, it's fairly easy to semi-automatically convert from Python code that uses FFI to Java code that uses Panama. And so in the future, it will be pretty, pretty easy. And when I write this code, mostly I just uh, take the Python code that uses FFI, paste it directly into my Java code as a command, and then tell GitHub, and then GitHub Copilot transforms it into Java code. And that works better than I expected. It still produces some interesting and hard to fix bugs, but but still, this is why I can proceed so fast because the combination of Panama and new machine learning techniques makes it pretty easy to do these transformations. And yeah, maybe I'll I'll write in the future blog post or give a conference talk about yeah. I, I suspect both, right? So I suspect that of course. <laughs> you know, more, more and more conferences. In one point of time, you forget about Java, right? So you you will then. You that you will be in the meta circle where you will talk more. Know how 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 to talk, talk nicely and uh, look pretty on stage, right? And not how kernel is working. So you have to be uh, careful. La- last year, last year I only did like fourteen conferences and forty blog posts. So I think that's enough. Uh, this year I'm going to five conferences till mid of uh, till till mid of April. So you see me, for example, at Javaland. Um, in, in April, good. talking about debugger internals. If you want to have a deep dive, go come to come to Javaland or come to Confu in Canada. Uh, we'll also be talking about uh, debugging. Or so this is a the, quite quite uh, long travel, you know, from Javaland to 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 Canada. <laughs> but uh, uh, Canada is in February, so so I'll be going to to Montreal in. In, in February, um, two weeks after going to first them. And then after that, I'm going to the Vox Days in Zurich, where I'll be talking about Java bytecode instrumentation and how to use it for profit. And then I'll be in Lithuania and um, uh, in Vilnius for the, Py- for the PyCon there. And then I'll be at Javaland. That's like my plan for this year till, till cool. April. What do you talk about? I forgot now. I'm thinking about your conferences right now. So the uh, the uh, yeah the Panama thing. So what's also interesting? Java is pretty lean and very productive. Meanwhile, so with Java 21. So what? And and the other day, what happened is and and uh, someone commented on a screencast is why I'm flanging JavaScript with Java, and it turned out because I used var. Uh, he thought that this is JavaScript, and it was all in. Uh, this is actually the best you know comment ever. So uh, I, I, I tweeted about that because I said, "What? It's like this is this okay? This is Java twenty one. Sorry, it's not JavaScript, right?" So what I what means is, if we uh, um, provide more and more Panama APIs, how to call it? Yeah, native APIs written with Panama to external interesting uh, things, then uh, you know the Java. Developers, modern Java developers, which just write efficient Java code, can be as efficient as with Python. So um, th- this is what uh, what's interesting. So this is a huge opportunity for Java, you know, to uh, to use the uh, boring but proven C libraries. I remember back then, and I don't know whether it's still alive. You know the NAC uh, uh, library in C. 
it's just like numerical uh, mathematic library I had to use once or whatever. So there are lots of libraries you have to use, and uh, and Python is great with it. But with Panama, I think uh, Java is as good. What you describe, it doesn't sound bad, right? So so it it still is slightly harder to use than the, than the FFI in Python, but always why slightly. why that? What's the main What is the main difference? This interesting type safety. So uh, with Python, you don't Python can do lots of magic that you don't that you can't do in Java because Java is safer. It has like proper type safety, and yeah, so yeah. There, there are some things you can't you, you can't do in in Java that you can't do in Python. But uh, but it's fairly easy to work around, um, and especially with the J extract tool that that we have. It's pretty pretty easy to take just your header files, pass them to JExtract, and JExtract mm -hmm. generates you Java code with which you can access these things. And I know I, I wrote with John Vernier, who is one of the developers uh, that works on JExtract. They currently working full steam ahead on making JExtract as best as possible. Currently, the performance isn't as great as with JNI, so that's a problem. But I think uh, there are pretty smart people working on making Panama as fast as JNI and later even faster because with Panama, we can um, do some improvements that weren't possible before. Yeah, but um, okay. So with that, so you have the same functionality what Python has. I still not know exactly what Python has. So what Python has is you can register syscalls via the meta api as root right so you can you can no no we, we, we panama has nothing to do with syscalls no no no, no. So, oh, this is we, we, we close panama yeah, this is yeah, yes okay yeah. good. we back so, to python so the python project yes. for for ebpf development uh what can it do it it just registers with the meta syscalls ebpf extensions right this is possible and more so essentially what you can do you have a nice little api with which you can uh compile EPPF programs. So you just pass this BPF class, your uh, your EPPF program written in C, and it does ah. all the compilation for you. It does all the loading for you. It does many things. It does all the wrapping your EPPF maps so you can access them easily as if they were proper Python um, Python dictionaries, for example. So it's pretty pretty easy to use. And that's essentially what I want to replicate in my Hello okay. EPPF program. So the, the, the Python uh, thing is similar to GCC or, I mean, to... to, to, to uh, it uses the... it under the hood. It uses it uses LVM under the hood to compile. No, no, no. what I meant, for me as developer, if I don't care what happens behind the scenes, I have a C code, I run the Python thing, and I get, in best case, an EBPF extension compiled and registered in the kernel. Essentially, yes. So if you if you run if you run your BPF Python program, it registers it automatically, and you can use it. For example, you create this while your BPF class. You can just tell here is my BPF code, and then you can tell, hey, please register it to the syscall, and it does it for you, and you don't have to care about compilation and everything. The main problem here, and that's why people uh, lightly started to not use BCC that much in new projects, the problem is that you compile it always. So every time you run your program, you're compiling your EPPF program, which is not a trade because you have to ship your LVM to every system where you 
we're going to run these programs. And therefore, with BPF, it's possible to pre-compile this to bytecode and just store the bytecode into your application and then load it via the BPF. And that's also our aim for Hello EPPF for my project that later you can get a job with where I can where I compiled in essentially the EPPF code to bytecode and then you can load it so you don't need LVM. So the, the 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 Python what's the BCC is the name of the library, mm-hmm. right? The so what BCC does, it does everything at once. So yes. it, it and 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 lib lib BPF it just does the second thing so it, it, it just yes. deals with the pre-compiled bytecode right it just it just deals with the pre as far as I understand it it helps you to just deal to to pre-compile the bytecode and then I do it at build of my application I just pre-compile the bytecode and then later I only use this bytecode and when I run my application. I'm just loading the spy code and it's a little bit harder than this because the problem is um, the Linux kernel tends to change. Also the EPPF APRs tend to change, but nowadays what's what's possible with the Core approach, I think it's called, um, libppf allows you to compile it once, run it everywhere. So you compile it down to something like when you know with shared libraries, you then have a linker, you have a dynamic linker that essentially links your application that knows, oh, this this function lays at this location in my in my current heap. That's the same what it does. So it modifies, so it modifies at runtime then your application to your current Linux kernel. Um, so it works. And that's pretty neat because you can compile it once on your kernel and it runs on all other kernels too. Yeah, this is for Java developer less exciting, but a uh, nice feature, I would say, right? Of course, of course. It's for the <laughs> Java developers. Like, we have it since, like, the beginning, but it's 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 really important for uh, eBPF. And it's also a thing that I want to do in the future. So in the future, I want to um, have a Maven task with which you essentially a preprocessor that runs... In hey, Johannes, this is available before you were born. Born, Can we say that? Uh, Java or what? Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm older than this. Uh, oh, okay, I thought you are you are younger. Okay, so you no, no. <laughs> so EBPF yeah. keeps you young. Um, <laughs> but the also, thing is, yes, all the, all the submarines, you know, uh, or submachines. Uh, yes, the submarine. submarine. Okay, cool. So, uh, so th- another thing. So libbpf installs the bytecode to the kernel. So is there is there a command in terminal which just produces the bytecode, or do I have to use the lib? EBP, uh, the no, sorry, the BCC. I think you can compile it via. You can compile it via PCC. Or something, it, should, right? it, it, it should be possible to to BCC to compile. Because I compiling. don't get it why we need the BCC at all. Because because you could just use you know one command to to produce the bytecode and then use libppf to install it and I'm done, of right? Course, of course, that um, yeah, and, and the, the main advantage is with with libpc that it makes it easier to to prototype applications. So it's just simplicity. So it does a tool that does everything for you, and you have a nice API, and that's fine. And it makes it just easier. And the thing is, it was historically it was there first, and because it was there first, there are far more tutorials, especially okay. other ones, there are far more books covering this. With the learning EPPF, um, 
a book by Liz Rice. There's also chapters on using LibBFF as far as I saw. So it's just LibBCC. It's simple to use in the beginning. It's harder to use later because yeah, that's because more my thinking is if you if you're dealing with uh, eBPF, you are you know solo level, so it doesn't matter anymore whether I compile it by myself or by library, right? I mean, I, I'm on the current. This is not like is it you know? It's I mean, deep down, yes, it's deep down. But the main problem here is that um, it's when when you have a nice simple to use Python API. It makes it easier to get into, to get started. Okay. And okay. so it's far easier to get a Hello World program running. But with my Hello EPPF program, I want to make it as easy as uh, with the Python BC API to use libbpf. So I'm working okay. on it. It's something that I want to do in the future so that people can just use libbpf, be fine, compile it once, run it everywhere. Um, but that's still a bit more effort because the libbcc offers... Um, more of offers some some kind of front end offers many helper functions that I would have to re-implement essentially in Java, uh, but that's some work. But if there are people out there want to join me, uh, just come to the whole eBPF GitHub project and uh, make progress, make issues, take part in discussions. So it's a project that I want like create with the community. It's a side project um, that I do also like as a hobby so please come take part of the discussions um and and make it better yeah because um, the hard work is done right so i, I assume if you <laughs> can call one function you can call the other as well so now you only have to replicate a bit what you did if something is missing you know this is low-hanging fruit almost or not there there there, there is enough low-hanging fruit to, but there's also interesting work to do so what i in my last blog post that, that i will publish like today and uh, that is uh, probably also before this this uh, episode uh, airs. But what I want to do is, um, well, in this, introduce like the working with eBPF maps. So now my uh, hello eBPF program, now your Java programs can work with eBPF maps and can communicate with your eBPF program. Like Kafka something, right? So similar. What not not like Kafka, <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's like um, it, it uses helper methods to, give you like the memory map buffer right something like this it's it not memory it uses it uses on it yes kind of um just read my blog post on this topic um but the cool thing with this is that um you can define your structures you can store structures in for example in errors or maps in ebpf but uh you currently have to define your the, the layout of your struct in in java and it's pretty cumbersome but uh, in the future, I want to do more pre-processing so that much of like the tedious work is done in pre-processors. And in the future, one of my aims is also to be able to let you skip all the C writing stuff so you don't have to write C in in a string in your Java program. So in the future, I might want to allow you to write Java code that I then that syntactically Java code and also semantically, but that is compiled down to C code. So I don't map all the semantics of Java, but I map some of the semantics, especially like the type system, down to down to uh, use it to to 
like allow you to model C code in Java code. Um, so this will be an interesting project that I want to work on, like using a preprocessor to essentially allow you mm -hmm. to write C code in Java code. Back to your Hello BPF, uh, which uh, replicates lib, lib or BCC. Why was it yes. called libbcc? Libbcc or BCC? Uh, it's called like BCC is the project and libbcc is like the library. Yeah, and the newer one or the more professional professional one is libbpf, right? So yes, BCC and libbpf is the full stack, and yes. libbpf is just the bytecode thing. So Probably. what you can do with your thing is you have a BPF builder. You can define the um, C code. And then with a syscall, uh, uh, exec ve. What is the exec ve? What, what is oh, yeah, 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 it for, for for the people that are listening to this podcast? Um, I think you're currently on my readme for the for the no. whole EPPF program. Oh, no, uh, yeah, I'm a blog post from the thirty first. Oh, yes, there's the okay. Yeah, you you're on my blog post, but the readme is essentially the same. Um, so essentially, what you do, you have the BPF BPF builder, and that allows you to like. Attached load this program into compile this program using BCC, load it into your kernel, and then you can um, ask the libbpf for, for example, here for syscall. So, hey, please give me the ID of the syscall exec4e, and then you can tell my, BPP, my bpf class, please attach. Um, a method that I defined in my uh, EPPF program to a specific syscall. And then in the simplest example, you can just tell it, hey, please trace, print, mm -hmm. all the things that... So five lines of to. code, maybe five lines of code, yes. and uh, and uh, we are done. It looks, uh, it looks actually... Uh, I mean, okay, there it is, the underscore uh, notation from C. Yes. But it looks uh, very Javanese, I would say. Uh, It is, uh, yeah, a nice API. Even uh, you have um, try with resources, so it is closed uh, after, it seems like. Of yeah, course, try of course, yes. I use try with resources. Python doesn't use it, but I like try with out, resources. Out, Auto-closable, auto they implemented. So it's a nice, yes. a nice little API uh, for Java developers. So yes, are you aware uh, of Project Babylon? There's so many projects out there. There um, is an open JDK project Babylon, and what they're working on is called Code Model. And what they are able to do is uh, you can you can compile Java to Code Model, and the Code Model is uh, something like an abstract representation of the execution. And from there, you can compile Vasm, you can co run on GPUs or whatever. So you have instead, you know, cancel three conferences maybe, and your next the next homework <laughs> assignment would be. To uh to compile to create from code model bytecode for eBPF right so this would be no, interesting no no that's why it, not it, it, <laughs> because the problem is I can't model all the semantics of Java for example garbage collector so couldn't be modeled in eBPF because eBPF no is but there's in code model there's also no garbage collector oh I I know but but the problem is the 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 eppf programs are quite restricted so they can't be too large and as, as vasm are as vasm are so i think it will be possible but it's yes it's it's in theory it's possible but the problem is eppf programs should be small and when you compile it down to vasm um it's okay for for the project babylon to create large files because that's fine with vasm but it's definitely not fine with eppf it should be as small as possible and I don't want to have like I, I want just to the user to be able to write 
the EPPF code syntactically and on a type level, model it in Java code, but not port the semantics of Java to EPP. No, no, but uh, you could have a verifier whatever, right? So you could just use the technology to cre- to produce small things. So I would say it's not like the expectation is, you know, to 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 cross compile the Apache web server to to EPPF is more like, you know, or or Tomcat. It, it more, it's more like uh, okay, I have a small piece of code if else in Java and now now I use code model to create the the bytecodes or the this yeah. I, I I might be I might be looking into and I can send Look at this, you it's very the, interesting. It's just another it, hit. It it could be, and I'm also looking forward to, to the other cool Python projects. Um and but the annotation processes also can get us quite quite a long way with this. So annotation processing is cool. Then you should but, then you should take a look at Micronode project. There are many cool people also at the Quarkus. Uh, also with Quarkus, they they also do a lot mm-hmm. of cool things. Um, and usually I mention Quarkus. Uh, no, once I wanted also to mention Micronode. So <laughs> and they say yeah. and now you're saying Quarkus. Yeah, I, I work with Quarkus all the time actually. And but I see um, Micronode is also as as interesting. I, I as just Quarkus. know I, I just know people. Uh, from the Quarkus community, there's this Max. Yeah, Max Anderson. Yeah, Max yeah. Anderson. He's he's pretty cool. He helps me with AP Loader. He has this J Bank project. Uh, J Bank, exactly. And, this and is you can passionate J Bank, uh, yeah. and that's pretty cool. And I and I and I talked uh, a bit with with other people in the Quarkus community at conferences, as you do, because they are always at a um, Red Hat booth, so uh, yeah. but I, I've never used Quarkus uh, um, because I'm an OpenJDK developer, so uh, I work be- behind the scenes um, on this, and that's the same what I do with Hello Prepare for want to um, empower the community to write cool monitoring solutions, and that's where I see my place. But one cool Quarkus project was would be that you write an extension which installs an eBPF uh, Quarkus extension which installs EBPF, eBPF extension and, for instance, uh, provides Quarkus monitoring data, right? Because uh, this something like this, a hybrid, could be interesting. So uh, I thought same. about this. I, I, I thought about um, using, and that's one, one of the aims of, of the Hello EBPF programs, that people can, that already write their monitoring solutions in, in Java, can easily use eBPF with this and can easily communicate. Because what you would probably usually do is, you run. You have a small monitoring solution using EPPF, like a small EPP kernel around EPPF, because this has to write run as a user, uh, as a as a root user, and this can then communicate with other Java applications. For example, using um, sockets, using using JSON to communicate then with other Java applications with your proper monitoring application that doesn't run in as a root user and yeah it it could be definitely in the future be uh be possible to to write proper monitoring solutions in java and because currently when people want to use ebpf in the java monitoring solutions they have to go the go route they have to use go or rust and i don't know we in the java community we are cool too we want to use all the cool monitoring tools out not there. we are cool too we are we are the coolest right so the mm. others uh, <laughs> the others try to replicate our coolness but it's really hard to achieve so on on that yes. truth right this is uh, absolute there, there is no argue with it so we can uh, we can argue about you know uh, about ebpf and your approach but not that java is cool so yes and uh, where people can find you mostly nerdless.de 
This is the, like, the yes. Yeah. And you can find my team at zapmachine.io. Um, mm-hmm. And we are a cool team. And you can find me at, at many conferences. Near and you. all conferences in April, what I learned, worldwide. <laughs> no, uh, no, usually. no, no. <laughs> just, just. <laughs> Just um, um, you can find me with a deep dive in. So Java we, we can we we can say if Johannes is not at a conference, is this is suspicious, right? Is this, is a fake conference or something? You know, is this is this nothing to do with software engineering? Let's say, right? No, no I apply to uh, I apply to a few cool conferences, but didn't get in. But at least I'm going to to travel. <laughs> what you said right now, right? You say you applied to a few cool conferences, but you couldn't get in. So uh, what it means about these conferences you are speaking right now, right? No, no. The, the thing is, um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to all the conferences, but I, of course, applied to, to for example, to JFocus, which is pretty, pretty cool uh, in, in Sweden. But um, yes, it's it's the thing. When you apply to conferences, you only they, get they, to They didn't appreciate the coolness of eBPF, <laughs> so therefore you should ignore JFocus. If they accept, you know, Johannes, <laughs> attend JFocus. Uh, on that note... We close the podcast and uh, see you next time, right? Yeah, see you next time. And um, I hope to see you probably at a conference. Are you at Javaland by any chance? No, uh, no time. Uh, uh, Javaland is too early. But I will. I try you know, to avoid conferences. And then, you know, later, if I have no chance, then I will attend a view. But uh, the first one is in CERN. I'm in CERN in a conference. Oh, I didn't get in, but that's that's cool. Uh, I envy you to to get to CERN. I'm just going to Vox Day Zurich, but looking forward to to being in Zurich again. And I have a friend who lives there, so I'll be coming there to Vox Day Zurich, and then later a few days, I'm I'm going to ride my travel bike around Zurich and have a nice time after the conference. So, no, thank you. Then thank you for having me again and. Thank you for the people listening here and read my blog and go to submachine.io to see what uh, absolutely what, call the, what cool things we do in the travel world. Yeah. Bye. Bye.